Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Let's Talk About Brand was initially broadcast as a live stream in 2021. It has been edited from its original format. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I'm Christine Gritman, of course, and I have a wonderful, smart guest on every single week to talk about a specific element of personal branding. So today's guest is awesome. Today's guest is my friend Simon Raybold, aka Presentation Genius. Very humble, clearly. Uh, But he is a presentation expert. He will teach you how to do presentations of all sorts in a way that is compelling and clear and gets information across while also engaging your audience. And of course, a huge part of that is knowing how to harness the power of story. So I'm going to bring Simon on right now. Hey, Simon, come on down. Hey. I love that modest bit. Honestly, it's not my fault. The whole idea of Presentation Genius was the publishers. It wasn't me. I promise. I uh-huh. promise. I promise. Uh-huh. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, honestly, they were very clear. They said a <laughs> book called How to Make Your Presentations a Little Bit Less Rubbish was was not going to sell. So they had this, they were very clear that it's going to be called Presentation Genius. It's all their fault, honest. But, but you were being so classy calling it rubbish. I mean, I know our, our friends Rob and Kennedy, who are going to be on in a couple more weeks, they talk about how to make your emails less shit. So at least you went with rubbish. Very classy and British of you. Well, actually, the, the original phrase was how to make it less crap. All right. Um, well, that but works. In, in, in my defense, in my defense, I reckon crap is an acronym. It stands for completely ridiculous and pathetic. So ah. that's, that's, it doesn't. I'm just making that up to make myself sound less rude. <laughs> well, I love it. You know what? You can you can BS all you want on this show. But one thing that we don't okay. want to BS about is the importance of story in branding. So first, actually, I'm going to right off the bat, I'm going to ask you, Simon, how do you define story what's a story as opposed to just talking story has structure and it has change and it has emotion that's it those are the three key components of a story and the best stories are the ones that are inferred rather than told but the idea is that the story does something it takes the audience somewhere that they weren't at the beginning it changes something I really like that. The transformational element of yeah. story. So, uh, you, can, you know, you to can get... think of a story as a way of presenting information. So it's, it's information plus emotion uh, is, is story. I mean, that's a really crass way of putting it, but in, information with emotion. I really like that. So you, of course, uh, for, we'll talk about how to incorporate that into our brand in just a moment. But first, since you are the presentation genius, like it or not, how can people incorporate that into presentations? How can people incorporate story rather than just like, blah, here's my info? Okay. Well, there are two ways of doing it. There's the obvious chronological, this is me, take it through to the beginning and just, just tell a story. 
which is not something I recommend because that's too egocentric. That's too presenter orientated around the presenter and it, it either bores the arse off the audience or it alienates the audience or on a bad day it does both but the better way of using stories is to, is to use them as examples as case studies as ways of supporting the point so we talk very much about something called the storyteller matrix which is where you have a point and you support it with examples and case studies and stories then you have another point and you support that with stories and case studies and, and, and that kind of stuff rather than telling stories for the sake of it so we very, very, very much talk about the idea of using stories rather than just telling stories. So you have a point and you use the story in support of that point. Now, let's say you're not entirely sure about points. Let's say it's not, you know, here's information I want to convey. Let's say it's just for generally getting people to know a sense of you and your brand, whether a consumer brand or a professional brand. What are some ways that story can really get because you pointed out a story is information plus emotion right so what are some ways yeah. that that helps people tap into a brand and connect with it the mind let's start with a mind-bogglingly obvious which is that the hero of the story has to be somebody that the audience can identify with in in some way shape or form and the ideal story is identifiable enough so that the audience kind of recognize them but not so tightly defined that the person goes that doesn't apply to me because they're a left-handed widget maker and I'm a right-handed widget maker <laughs> you have to find that trade-off between sort of specificity and and kind of engagement but the key thing about it is that whatever happens in whatever the hell you are telling people it has to have the emotional resonance so that they buy into it. The, the, the term is rapport. It's a very common phrase. Everyone thinks they knows what it means. But basically, it boils down to the person to whom you are telling the story must think that they could be in that story. Those are the key elements to it. That's interesting. And, and I have a question about that, which is sort of one of the tricky things to figure out about brand in general, and certainly about that rapport and relatability of storytelling is, um, you know, being trying to figure out how to phrase it so the concept of being for everybody of course means that you're really for nobody so getting that balance right of being specific enough but also you know relating to people enough can be very very tricky so how can you figure out you know if your story is specific enough but also generally relatable enough like what's that sweet spot because you can't relate to everybody all the time right you're right, and it's not as difficult as I've made it sound because I, I want you to pretend that in, a, in, in a, an audience, that any kind of audience, there are three subsets to the, to the audience, right? There's the decision makers, there's the advisors to the decision maker, and there are the chair fillers. Now, the chair fillers statistically are going to be the biggest, being the biggest part of the audience, but you all know what the chair fillers are. I'll put money on the fact that you've all been a chair filler. They're just in the presentation or they're just watching the video for the free mug or the free book, or they're there because if they don't go to the meeting, they might actually have to do some work or they're there for the free tea and biscuits. The thing about using stories is that you can ignore those people completely. I know it's easier to say than it is to do, but in terms of the importance of using stories, they don't have to be there at all which means that when you tell your stories, you can target it much more precisely than you think you ever need to because you target your stories 
and you ident- get the, that identification thing has to happen with the the decision makers in your audience and to be brutal only the decision makers in your audience so if you've got one person there making a decision two people advising that decision maker and everybody else is just there to, for fun and to applaud it's it's tempting to tell stories for the bigger for the big crowd but that actually doesn't get you where you need to go what you need to do is is customize the story so it's relatable for the let me give you an example a person if i may uh, an example you may uh, okay so uh, you guys call it well you would call it soccer um but for the rest of the world it's known as football because mm-hmm. that's actually what it is yes. so i gave a presentation in manchester recently manchester a hugely football orientated city um it's it's kind of religion there they have two top flight clubs manchester city and manchester united and everybody around the world has heard of manchester united i'm in a room with lots and lots and lots of people in manchester and i tell a story about football but the story i tell is about liverpool not football now liverpool is about 40 miles 50 60 kilometers away maybe a little less major football club massively in kind of challenge with Manchester United, Manchester City. And I knew I was taking a risk by telling a story about Liverpool, not not, uh, not Manchester. But I knew the decision maker in that room, the person I needed to impress was a Liverpool fan, not a Manchester fan. Sneaky. Which means that the... Yeah, absolutely. You did your it homework. means that I might... Oh, yeah. It's all about the research. So I, I knew I might have hacked off maybe half the audience. And in fact, I got a, 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 a jokey boo as I told the story. But that's was engagement, to... right? Oh, absolutely. It was a jokey boo. So that's fine. Um, I, I, but even if I'd hacked them off, it wouldn't have mattered. Because the person whose opinion that mattered to me, the only person, the person who was going to pay me, <laughs> they were a Liverpool fan. So the story was about Liverpool. Now, That's a little tell, kiss-ass there, Simon. <laughs> it, uh, truth to tell, the story could have been about anybody or anything. You just have to put the word Liverpool in there instead yes. of the word Manchester in there and, and Bob's your proverbial uncle. The principles are the same. So it's not as hard as it might sound. So, Simon, I want to ask you, uh, to that end, how you just said that you could have just slotted Liverpool into that story. You could have slotted whatever into that story, which implies that that story was kind of part of your stable of stories that you sort of have at the ready. How can people, how can especially people who have a personal brand to convey, how do we figure out what goes in that stable of stories to have at the ready to tell? Okay, so there's a, a dirty trick I use. Ooh, um, I like dirty tricks. You can do it. You can, oh, I love a dirty trick, yeah. There are lots of ways you can do it. Now, the way I personally do it is to use um, an app called Evernote. And I guess almost everybody is going to have heard of Evernote. And I have what I call a Jack and Mary folder. So whenever anything of interest happens and I've got five minutes, I just type away, capture the story, the guts of, the story not the details but just enough to mean that i can remember that story in six months time and then i tag it now the reason i like evernote is because it tags it with time and place and all of that kind of stuff automatically but i tag it with all the things that that story could be about so any given story could be about half a dozen different things so if i'm arguing with a mobile phone company it it, and i i managed to get them to reduce my uh, my bill my monthly my monthly bill 
it could be about persistence or it could be about customer service or it could be about the name of the brand, for example, which means that whenever I need a story or I know I'm going to have to use a story, I can go to my Evernote folder, search for tags on that thing and, and Bob's your proverbial uncle. The other thing I, I do always, always, always is tag the story with where it came from. <laughs> because the last thing you want to do is take it back by accident to where the story came from because that risks alienating people. If, if, you know, if the story is about how bad something was, you don't want to stand there and go, and here's an example of bad customer behavior, and three people in the room go, that was me. Because <laughs> that just, that's just not... Um, so what we want to do is, is get the story at a just enough distance for them to not be threatened by it. Um, so how can and the we... Only time... Go ahead. Sorry, go on. I was how... going to say, the only time in 10 years that has gone wrong was when somebody moved from one company to another. Ooh. And um, yeah, they moved from the company that the story came from to, to the company I was working with. Um, and at the end of the story, they went, that very thing happened to our chief exec. Uh, hmm. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> Where did you used to work? Oh, really? <laughs> wow. But actually that worked, re well, that worked really well. Because it, absolutely. Because it, it proved to the audience that the story was a real thing. So yeah. the trick is to get stories which are relatable enough that people buy into them, trust them, believe them, but not so close as they challenge and risk alienating, which is why case studies or historical stories are really powerful brand manipulation type stuff. So how can we learn how to recognize those stories when they happen to us in daily life? Because I would imagine most of us, we just go about our day. We don't necessarily look at something that's happening to us from that sort of detached lens and say, that's a story that I can twist to make about this. So how can we start strengthening that particular muscle of recognizing those moments? Two, 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 two tips. The first is, if I ask you to write down three hashtags of what your brand was about, I reckon you could do that, right? If you yep. can't, then you're in trouble. Okay, so you've got these three hashtags. You literally Personal branding, write them down. social media, be engaging. There you go. Okay, Bam. So, you, so you write you write those down. You put on a piece of card. You put that in your pocket. Now, the, just the process of writing that down and carrying that with you works as a subconscious reminder to be holding things in your head. But then, when you're beginning your kind of storytelling journey, you put in your diary two or three times a week, twenty minute slots where you go think about the day. It, it's really kind of oh, just do it, you know. Sit down and think about the day. You put those that, that piece of card with your, your hashtags in front of you. Think about the day, and I will, I, I will put money. I will, I will bet today's fee for this interview that you will think of something <laughs> that happened during that day that, that matches those three things that are, written on your, that are written on your tag. It starts exercising the muscle, and once you've got into the habit of it, everything starts to be a story. You end up having you end up after a week or so of going. That's a story, and that's a story, and that. And you only have to get going. You only have to get the practice going. And once you've got the practice going, it becomes self momentum thing. The problem I have now is that I start looking for my phone to write on my Evernote stuff far too much all the time. <laughs> because yeah, absolutely. Because once you've got the once you've got into the habit of it, it's it's very 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 easy. 
Social media content I, is like that too. I teach I teach people how to recognize those moments of content in what's already happening to them because they feel like they have nothing to post. But once you start looking through that lens, you realize also like after this interview, I just got a package yesterday and I realized I didn't Instagram that. <laughs> so that's going in my stories because so, I'm used to doing that. Yeah, and there's a couple of things you can do, of course. A couple of other things you can do is to ask somebody else what's happened in their day. Because it's, well, it's much easier to spot stories in somebody else's day than it is in your own day because you're, you're yeah. too far inside your own day. So just you telling me that means I've now got a story that I can use. I won't because <laughs> I won't because I don't have your permission. I was going to say, but you okay. do. Um, in which case, I will. Um, but that that idea of spotting stories in other people's stuff—it's much easier to spot other people's things. And if you can't find somebody else's day to monitor, pretend that you have that traditional 1950s or 1960s spousal relationship where one of you goes out to work, the other one stays at home, and when you come back home, the one that stayed at home says. How was your day, dear? What happened? And I will put money on the fact that if you want to explain to your spouse or to your partner what's gone on with your day, you will tell them a story of something that happened at work. We do it naturally because we're storytelling machines. But all you need is an audience and all you need is someone to ask you that question. But if you don't have anybody to ask you, to ask you that question, pretend you do. <laughs> and just go... If I was telling my stay-at-home partner what happened to me at work today, what would I tell them? That, that I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What? <laughs> I have another question about something that you said earlier on, and then we actually are going to get to some some uh, viewer questions. Again, to expand upon something you said earlier, which is that it's less about telling the story and more about sort of inferring the story, which I imagine draws uh, people into sort of fill in blanks themselves, which automatically makes them a bit more invested. Yeah. But can you talk about the That's art of, of inferring story? Yeah, so I am in, in the English that I speak, I imply and you infer... <laughs> But you're American, so you know, I'll forgive you. Um, so we, you are more likely to trust stories that you tell yourself than you are to trust stories that I tell you. So the worst type of story is not to tell stories at all. The second worst story is for me to tell you about my day and my skills and all that kind of jazz. And if you trust me, that's great. But if you don't, there's a problem. But after that we want to start telling stories that the audience relate to that's about them or other people that they trust 
But the ultimate story is one you don't tell. It is one that you imply. You give them the dots and you leave them to join the dots and work out the story for themselves. Because effectively, they told that story to themselves and therefore it must be true. Because at the back of your mind, you're kind of going, I cannot lie to myself. So what you do is you give them a hint, you give them a setup, and you leave them to fill in the punchline. It's a bit like, and by a really crude analogy, it is a bit like telling a limerick without that last line in, because that last line is rude. Sometimes you literally so, just need the, the first line. You can say there once was a man from Nantucket, and I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> absolutely because we all know what the next line is going to tim's actually sure right you want them to fill in the gaps of the story <laughs> if you can Tim, go even further than that and get them to make up the story in the first place Ooh. but getting them to fill in the, the gaps in the story is a really powerful way to do it and you're right the nantucket thing <laughs> makes no sense so to me not. at all because i have well i have no cultural reference for that i don't even know what nantucket is is it oh. a place is it i'll a... tell you no it's not nice i'll tell you later <laughs> Okay, <laughs> tell me later. I, I, that's, that's, that's not something I... Which brings us to another point, of course, which is that the stories you tell have to be culturally normed in your audience's way of speaking and, and, and way of thinking. There are stories that I can tell which work in the UK, but if I tried them in China or somewhere, would just fall absolutely flat because there's no cultural reference. Yeah. So here's an example. I, you know, I said I had an Evernote folder with all yes. the stories in. That story, that, that story folder is called my Jackanory folder. Ooh. Nope, nothing for you. Nothing for you at all. But everybody in the UK who is at least 40 years old is going, oh, Jackanory, yeah, I remember Jackanory because Jackanory was a kids' TV program that we all watched when we were small back there in the days go. where there were only three TV channels. And yep. before anybody says it, no, I am not old enough to remember black and white. <laughs> But there were only three TV store channels, and BBC One finished Children's Hour. There was a thing called Children's Hour with Jack and Ori. And it was just somebody sitting in a thing, in a chair, saying to people, here's a story. And at the end of which, you went to bed as a kid, this is. Everybody in the UK knew about it. Two-thirds of the kids in the UK. Oh, yeah, Trisha, Trisha's in there. Love Jack and Ori. <laughs> Two-thirds of the people, the kids in the UK were watching Jack and Ori. So... For me to say I have a Jackanory file, that works beautifully in the UK. It's less useful. Um, the one with the Hobbit telling, yeah, absolutely spot on, Tim. It, it's less powerful in America because yeah. most of you haven't heard of it. Yeah. And it wouldn't work at all in, in Asia where they have, you know, they've got no concept of Jackanory. Um, a lot of my jokes don't translate. So, for example, if I said 42, like the half of the UK would absolutely half the universe half of everybody would fall about laughing and those people who've never read hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and are therefore morally wrong and not allowed to vote because it's compulsory <laughs> would just go what because they they've got no concept of what the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is all about when my sister so turned 40 when my sister turned 42 i bought her a towel which i had engraved with the words don't panic and a picture of a dolphin and people and, and I posted it on Facebook and the people who got it were like, that's the perfect gift. And the people who didn't get it were like, all right, so let, me, let me let me show you something. This is a, this is a present from my sister in law. It's uh, a cover for my Kindle. 
But it's shaped, tooled, metalled, and coloured like River Song's diary from Doctor Who. Nice. Now, for those people in my audience who are Doctor Who fans, they're going, that is the best present ever. And they now think that my sister-in-law is wonderful. But for those people who have never watched any Doctor Who and have got no idea what I'm talking about, or worse, those people who think Doctor Who is rubbish, they're wrong. They're wrong. It's brilliant. <laughs> those people don't get the don't get the reference. So the stories you tell have to come. And here's the important, here's the hard thing. It's blindingly obvious as soon as I say it. They have to come from your audience's cultural background, not yours. I like that. So I have so uh, I have a couple questions from our Twitter chat the other day, um, and these tend a little bit more about presentation than about brand. But uh, we have just a couple minutes left, so you can just kind of give the quick and dirty answer to each of them. So first I of all, I love quick and dirty. <laughs> Anson wants to know what's the best way to engage to quickly engage your audience and get them to trust what you're saying. Uh, to get them to engage, you give them a really good reason for listening in the first 30 seconds. It's something called credibility statement, where the rules for credibility statement are it has to be overwhelming, objective, relevant to your audience, and short. And you do that in the first 30 seconds. And it such could be as? something as Do you have crude. an example? Well, yeah, it could be something as, such a, something as crude as, hello, my name's Dr. Simon Raybould. I have written a bestseller on... Now, if, if they're there to hear me talk about presentations, the fact that I've got this credibility proof and I deliver it to them in the first 30 seconds is, is where I need to be. But if you need to get them to engage, here's a dirty trick, you want them to think that you are as like them as possible. And that comes down to using the same jargon, the same accent, dressing like them, all of that kind of stuff. Because there's a whole bunch of psychology that says we trust people more if they are like us. So the more you can pretend to be like them, the, the better chance you have got. So you might, for example, want to have a chat with your audience beforehand and find out who's got kids. Hmm. And then the stories that you use are about how difficult it is to raise teenage daughters. And if the people in the audience have got teenage daughters, they're sitting there going, yep, yeah, I get this. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> if I had known how hard it was to raise teenage daughters, I would never have had sex ever just in case. <laughs> I tell you, seriously. Now, what that's done is everybody in the audience who's got, who has raised teenage daughters is going, yeah, I get that. I am totally with that. And those people who, who don't have it. So you want to be as like them as possible, which means... For example, if you have got an accent that is the same as your audience's, use it. If you have the same qualifications as your audience, use it. If you have done your audience's job, use it. But you do that right at the start. I mean, really, really, really at the start so that they trust you in the first 30 seconds. Sorry, that was a very long answer to a short question. It's it's okay. And you established your credibility in it, which is important. <laughs> Though I will point out about the accent thing, the one exception to that is if you have a British accent and your audience is American, they will automatically think that you're smarter. Just, you know, quick, quick rule of Depends stuff. on which accent you've got. Oh, that's because true. Because there are lots Cockney and lots of British accents. So well. Yeah, but Cockney we don't know that. Work. A lot of Americans don't really differ differentiate i don't know anyway <laughs> i don't know I, that's, that's, for, for me to hear that 
is the equivalent of me saying that a New York accent is the same like as Tennessee. Like a southern accent. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's absolutely. And New York, Tennessee, they could not be more different. So my accent compared to, to somebody from London, right. no, that's, that just alienates <laughs> everybody. All right. Well, anyway, quick question uh, from Nicole. As a follow-up to that, how do you keep people engaged during a longer presentation? I've been in a long presentation of yours, and, and you've done this quite well. We didn't fall asleep at all. So so tell us how you keep people going. Three and a half hours of really intense bang, 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 bang. Yeah, yeah. it was. Now, part of that is because you wanted to be there and you'd paid money and all of that kind of jazz, which means you're going to stay awake. But the dirty trick is this. Instead of giving one 20-minute presentation, let's say, you give four five-minute presentations. Hmm. So what happens is that people pay attention at the beginning of a presentation and the end of a presentation, and they fall asleep in the middle. And at the end of the presentation, they start to pay attention again because the presenter gives them a clue that the end of the presentation is coming up. They say something like, so in conclusion, or something like that, and everybody starts to pay attention again. So if you give four five-minute presentations, you get to minute four and a half, and you go, so that wraps it up for this section. We've finished talking about topic A. Now we're going to start talking about topic B. And you, you metaphorically hit a big reset button so that the audience starts from scratch every eight to 12 minutes. And the way you do that might be that you change medium. So, for example, the thing you were talking about was that quite often I would use really big slides behind me but then if I wanted to hit the reset button, I would go to a black slide, walk forward to my audience and tell a story. I would change my tone of voice. I would drop my voice. I would have no visuals to distract the audience. It would be a completely different watching experience. And in the process of going from one technology to another, it hits the reset button. The only thing you can't do is easily is swap presenters unless those presenters are very different. So swapping out one middle-aged white man with a boring voice for another middle-aged white man with a boring voice does not work. That does not hit the reset button nearly as much as swapping out a boring middle-aged white man for a, I don't know, short woman. You know, I'm, I'm six foot tall and replacing me with somebody. Yeah, you go. Yeah. So swap me team. with you. We should tag team. Swapping me with you, people, that would hit the reset button. Because you're female, you have a different accent, you have a different style, you have different colour hair. Hell, you have got colour in your hair. I'm, I'm kind of great. That would I, hit I the reset button nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get to the hairdressers at the moment because we're locked down in the oh. UK. But just swapping me for, let's say, my, metaphorically for my brother, wouldn't hit the reset button. All right. Again, long answer to a short question. Yeah. Simon, can you actually tell us for a second? I should have had you do this earlier, but can you tell us about the Reluctant Storyteller guide that you have here? It, 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 the whole Reluctant Storyteller thing came out of the fact that I got angry at really rubbish presentation trainers who were going, tell stories, tell stories, tell stories, tell stories, without telling people how and without telling people why. Because if you don't do if you don't do those things, it's the equivalent of walking up to somebody who can't reach the top shelf in a supermarket and going, "Have you tried being taller? What you need to be is taller. Try growing six inches." Well, that's, that's no freaking use to anybody, is it? What you need to do is give them a box to stand on or or something like that. So the whole reluctant storyteller thing grew out of me being really hacked off at other presentation trainers. 
And I realized that the people who most needed the help in order to use stories in their presentations are those who are reluctant to do so. So they may be shy, or they may be introverted, or they may not be confident, or they may not think that anybody's going to be interested in their stories, or they may, frankly, like me, not think that my stories are anybody else's business. So the reluctant storyteller thing is very, very tactical. Here is how to choose a story. Here is how to tell a story. Here is how to use a story in order to make your presentations better, even if you are reluctant to do so. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, Simon, where can and should people find you? Uh, Assuming Twitter, that they my handle, Yeah, my, my Twitter is at presentations, which I think is the luckiest handle grab on the face of the planet. Yes. Uh, the website for the Reluctant Storyteller is reluctant.presentationgenius.info. Reluctant Presentation Genius Info. And they can grab the freebies and they can buy the starter pack and stuff there. Get the freebies first. Always start with the freebies. Very nice. Well, thank you so much, Simon, for being here. This was great. I hope to see you in real life uh, in, the, in the fall. That would be nice. God willing. Let's see how safe things are by then. Well, at the moment, I'm not allowed out of my house. So yeah. you being allowed out of your country would be a big ask. Well, we'll see. I mean, we've got time. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Thank you so much to everybody for joining me here today. Um, again, I do this show every Friday at 12 noon, but I also have a companion Twitter chat each week. So next Tuesday, our Twitter chat topic is going to be branding with TikTok, which is admittedly something I haven't really been doing myself. I know a lot of us are a little hesitant. TikTok's a very new medium for some of us, but it is actually, it's not just for kids. It's not just kids lip syncing to songs. I know a lot of marketers who are really killing it with TikTok, and we can talk about how they're doing that with my fabulous guest, Kenya Kelly. So Kenya <laughs> Kelly is a fellow social media strategist and she has been killing it on TikTok and Instagram Reels and she is going to be telling us how she does it and she's also going to be giving away her branding with TikTok uh, or how to use TikTok in your marketing course. So definitely join us next next Tuesday for the chat next Friday for the live interview with Kenya Kelly. Thanks for being here. Bye! Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.